Today's episode of The Rewatchables on The Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by Spotify, which has the best listening experience around. You can change your speeds. You can check out their great charts. You should be listening to your podcast on Spotify. We're also brought to you by TikTok, the place to discover new music and artists from the latest dance trends to viral video duets. So much of the content I hear about started on TikTok. Discover something new each time you open the app, even your favorite throwback song bubbling up again. Discover more on TikTok. And finally, we're brought to you by Heineken. If you're figuring out how to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year, I have an idea. Try a nice cold Heineken. Perfect drink, whether you're on a deck on the beach, whether you're outside in your backyard. I don't know what you're doing. All I know is you can have a good time drinking Heineken on Labor Day weekend. Their original lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt. And their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all-season, all-the-time kind of beer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly. Coming up, how are you going to save me from my life, Shea Serrano and Van Lathan? Dangerous Minds is coming up next. She's got to fight against the system. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Rage against injustice. You gotta be crazy to teach these program classes. Why do you say? Crazy. And rise above the hate. You promised. You a Marine, you understand. There are no victims in this classroom. That is a choice. You got to rage against the dying of the light. Dangerous Minds, rated R, starts Friday, August 11th. All right, got Van Lathan here. You can hear him on Higher Learning on the Ringer Podcast Network as well as The Wire Way Down in the Hole, which is deep into season three. Yeah. The most entertaining wire season. I, I don't know if it's the best wire, wire season, season. Most entertaining wire season. It's my favorite. Put it that way. Shay Serrano, uh, host of a relatively recent new podcast called The Connect with Jason Concepcion. Yeah, baby. We have talked about this movie, Shay and I, a lot because we both love this a movie. Ton. Uh, we love Amelia. We have a lot of Amelia thoughts. Those will be all coming up later. I have not talked about Van as much. I just want to warn Van, if he comes in too hot making fun of this movie, Shay's going to try to fight him through the Zoom. <laughs> I'm all, I'm already mad. Shay's figured I'm out. He was Googling mad. last night, how do I punch somebody in the face through, through a Zoom? So yeah, just yeah, keep yeah, that yeah. in mind. Uh, I want to talk about, this is a classic white savior complex movie, which is yes. something that I grew up with. My favorite show ever was The White Shadow, which Van still won't watch. Uh, Haven't seen it yet. I'm, get, I'm getting around to it, though. Well, <laughs> just watch it, and then you'll understand. Uh, Different right. Strokes was another one on the TV side where uh, the Jackson brothers end up getting adopted by Mr. Drummond, the whole thing. And then this started to trickle into movies. There's been a lot of them. Like The Blind Side, Sandra Bullock won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Freedom Riders, Hardball, Wildcats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie. Van, the what la- is your- the last samurai? <laughs> it's a lot of movies that are doing the same thing. You're like the samurai been doing this for thousands of years or whatever. White boy come over there one summer, dopest samurai in all of Japan. Don't think it makes a ton of sense. Just to be honest with you, Shay. What? Why do? Why does Hollywood keep making white savior complex movies? Because my theory is they're just afraid to completely go into those worlds unless there is a buffer of some sort of white character because they just feel like the movie's not going to work at all. What do you think? I think the real answer is because white people are still in charge and they get to make those decisions. But I think like the fun answer 
is that it's just entertaining to watch a white person save some non-white people. You just, it just makes you feel good. Like, oh, he's Kevin Costner. Save them little Mexicans in McFarland. You say, way to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what that's that's all that it is. It like touches something in your heart. Well, they they. I mean, there's been movies with minority leads in this role, right? Like Coach Carter, mm-hmm. uh, Stand and Deliver. So lean on me. It's yeah, lean on me. It's not like it's not like this is exclusive, but you know. In this movie, it's so obviously like a white up movie because the real story about Luann Johnson, the teacher that this is based on, and she's in her school teaching the kids, you know, the lyrics of rap songs as a way to get through with them. And in the movie, it becomes Bob Dylan and Dylan Thomas. Van, why, right. why do you think they were so afraid to tell the real story in 1995? Because there's a certain belief in America that uh, <laughs> whiteness is the cure for all ills. You know what I mean? That like you you have a bunch of it's almost even when she walks into the classroom at first, that looks like the jungle. It looks uncivilized. They are doing almost like they're they're rapping, right? There's a cipher going on. So there's almost something tribal happening. And then there's chaos in the back, and there's all of this. And she walks in with this pristine look. She has a service record, right? She has all of these things that sort of make her pure. And that's what these kids are missing. She even tells her that's what these kids are missing. They're missing that component. So when you have it like that and those messages are so strong, you can't sully it up with any old old hippity hop because that's giving them what they already have. They were rapping when they got in there. So how would rap save them if they were rapping when you got in there? So she comes in there. She gives them Bob Dylan and the tambourine, man. Stuff that's all about drugs and stuff like that. Same shit, really different place. And that's going to save them. And that's kind of something. It lasted. I think there was one movie that actually killed this archetype. And I'm glad the movie was made. We'll talk about it later. But it lasted for a while to me. Like this what, whole What was thing. the movie? I want to hear now. 187 with Samuel Jackson. I think that excellent, movie. Excellent I, movie. I, I think that movie killed this because, number one, no one got saved in that movie. Actually, that one of the girls in Dangerous Minds comes back in that movie. I like to think that she transferred schools and then she went over and then like, you know, <laughs> She's playing the same um, character. <laughs> right. Um, but no, he comes in and there's so much chaos in the school system. The takeaway from that movie is nobody can fix this. Like he literally gave his life from it. And really, I think Freedom Riders, Freedom Riders came, comes after this. But after that movie, they really kind of stopped trying this. Because Sam and them went too far. He got stabbed by Method Man within the first 60 seconds of the movie. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I, I think that people kind of got over this whole thing. Although Dangerous Minds, to me, it was the pinnacle, the crowning achievement of this type of cinema. Shay, this movie might have the most Latin characters in one mainstream American movie of the last 25 years. Is that possible? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know that that's 100% true, but I was very excited to rewatch it. <laughs> that, that I was going to get to see my guys, Emilio and Raul, again. I was like, I was very, very pumped about that. What a rivalry. The Emilio-Raul rivalry. You know, we hear about bird magic, you know, some Tupac Beggy, some of the other ones. Emilio-Raul uh, never really gets in there. But um, I really like the kids in this movie. I was trying to think, like, this is obviously a, a really flawed movie that has a lot of issues. I still love it. I think it's super rewatchable. And I was trying to think like, all right, what are the reasons I love this movie? The first one is Michelle Pfeiffer, who we'll talk about in a second, but one of my all-time, all-time favorites. The Coolio song, starting it, 
is so good. They they just say, fuck it, we're bringing it back. We're running it back a second time at the 70-minute mark. And then the, the third reason for me is the kids. I just really like these kids. I think they did a good job for the most part in a one hour and 40 minute movie, whatever it is. I felt like I was attached to like five or six of the kids. Van, you'd never, you probably hadn't seen this in a million years. How did you feel rewatching it? That was the best part of it, for sure. The best part of it was the fact that like, if, if I have to be team Emilio or team Raul, I'm all the way team Raul. Raul, Fuck like, yeah. like all, right. all, all the way team That's Raul. one for the good column. Right, like Raul, first of all, I feel like the I know we're going to talk about scenes we love later, but the one brilliant scene in this movie to me is the conundrum of Raul's date with her. Because you get something good in your life and the only way to experience it is by doing something bad. And he felt so human right there that like I can't tell you how many guys I know that we're in that position. Fam, I was just trying to get a little extra money to go to the prom. Fam, I was just trying to do this. And he's all fucked up. And I felt I connected with the character right there. So yeah, of all the characters, I don't know, you know, I connected with Raul the most. And that was the saving grace of the movie to me. Yeah, he's the best part of it. He he makes it feel the most alive. And it's a, and he does this really neat trick in it where when you go back and you rewatch it again, the way that he just stares at you at any character who's talking to him so intently and he's like studying the situation like mm. in the 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 restaurant scene uh, you could tell this is a completely foreign uh, environment to him and he's just studying all of it all at once sort of computing what to do or what to say it's really it's really like a sneaky thing that he that he does Shay yeah. you you taught 8th grade Correct. right yeah what's your favorite um What's your favorite high schools or earlier movie that you identify with the most? Is it this one or is it something else? Uh, it's definitely this one. This was this was the one. This one grabs a hold of you when you're a kid. I watched it when I was a, a teenager, and it was one of those like, oh, that seems like a good job to have. Mm. An important job to have is to be a teacher. This is a movie that does that. You know, it's interesting. I was reading some because every time there's an anniversary people will write about whatever movie it is, right? And we get some good research out of that for this podcast. So there's a 20th anniversary of this. And a big theme of a couple of the pieces was like, this was not a well-reviewed movie. It was a surprise smash hit. But I think what they realized eventually is the legacy of this movie is it really made people appreciate the school system, teachers, um, trying to graduate. You know, the, the it was the theme that over and over again, the people who were in the movie, people would mention to them, like this movie gave me the hope. Like it made me realize mm -hmm. I got to keep fighting, plugging along. It's it's weird because you know this is a Bruckheimer Simpson movie. I don't mm. I don't think they were trying to, you know, <laughs> I don't think they had noble goals here. I think their goal was like, hey, we bought this cool story with the teacher, and we got Michelle Pfeiffer, and this movie has a chance to make some money. Um, I think the legacy of this has, has changed a little bit. Van, you're probably not surprised to know this movie was poorly reviewed. No, I'm not surprised to know that. Uh, but also, I think that reviewers probably didn't understand it. Like, it, it, it's it, it. First of all, I think that there was one person in this movie that did have lofty goals. When I watched this last night, I'm looking at it. I'm like, is this Michelle Pfeiffer? Was she going for the blindside Oscar here? Because it seems kind of like, I'm looking at this movie, I'm going, she's got the Southern twang on. She's out of the Michelle Pfeiffer type. She's playing hard, 
ex-Marine that saves a bunch of wild kids. Was this her shot? And I'm trying to think if not, I think this was her shot. And when you have that shot, take that shot at the gold, man. If you fail, <laughs> it knocks you back a couple of a couple of pegs. And she didn't quite get there. But for me, no, nah, man, like, you know, I, I watched the movie and I think that reviewers, it was never going to be well-reviewed unless I would be... I would be interested to know how Lean On Me and some of these other movies that do this, I know Stand and Deliver was really well-reviewed, but I would be interested to know how these teachers in de de depressed situation movies are reviewed because they're formulaic to a degree and reviewers don't like that. Like, the, the scene where she leaves the school and goes and talks to the girl's mother who's the girl is pregnant, that's literally from Lean On Me. Yeah. Like, it's the same scene. So a reviewer is going to see that and it's going to be like catnip to them and they're not going to see, they're not going to look very kindly on it. But the fact of the matter is, if you care about your students and you're in one of these schools, somebody's getting knocked up. So it probably would have to be in, in every movie or at least in most of them. It's funny because the white shadow lays down a lot of the pieces, a lot of the breadcrumbs for some of these movies, right? The white shadow, former basketball player, goes back to LA, takes over his his buddy who he used to play with is the principal of high school. He takes over the basketball team, starts getting involved in people's lives. And there's this recurring theme with the players. And it was such a revolutionary show in so many ways because they just never put that many black characters in a situation like that in a movie, in a TV show before. But a lot of the first season, which is really good, is the players kind of going, you better be for real. Mm. Like there, there's some trusting, like, I've been sold this shit before. Why are you different? And there's always a scene in these movies, especially in this one, where, where somebody has to look at the Michelle Pfeiffer character and go, you better be for real. Mm -hmm. It's just like, like lock it down. It's going to happen. Um, and then the other thing is just like, they'll always have the scenes where the, the teacher or the coach goes to the neighborhood you know, to meet the parents and that that's going to go one of two ways. Either it's going to go great or the parents going to be super suspicious. Shay, what other beats are in these movies like that, that they almost feel like they have to hit? They always have to hit that one. They always have to hit the thing Van mentioned where they walk into class and the kids are already in there. They always have to do the thing where some kid says something that breaks the teacher's heart. Um, in, in the you know in this movie it's how you're gonna save me from my life yeah right. I realize it's like oh shit there's nothing I can do here um and then there's always like somebody in the administration who the teacher is gonna butt heads with or has to fight with and you know in pursuit of making things better for the children they have to explain why they know better than the person not in the classroom those are usually the main ones you gotta you gotta have in there and then if it's if it's a uh, black and Mexican kids, there's got to be dancing in there. You got, you got to dance at some point. <laughs> bring your bring your tennis shoes because you're gonna fucking have a dancing in this thing. The Wire goes into this in season four, which I know Van's about to cover on Way Down mm -hmm. in the Hole. But Prez is like more than a whiff of the white savior complex character. But at the same time, in that movie, it's like I, I'm sorry, in that TV show, it's like. Uh, yeah, do whatever you want. It's probably not going to work. And they spend that whole season explaining why these kids are so screwed up. Did you feel the the breadcrumbs in that in that season four, Van? Have you started rewatching that yet? I have. And by the way, there's a scene in this movie that they basically redo in The Wire, the restaurant scene. Remember, right. in The mm -hmm. Wire, they have to put together a puzzle. 
Whoever gets to put together, they get to go to this fancy restaurant down in the harbor. They do. They go with Colvin. And Colvin thinks that the kids are really going to be into this. But really, they're super intimidated by the fact that they don't understand the world. Mm -hmm. And it was the exact same thing that happened in this film. Um, Because, you know, that's what the thing is. Like, they're living in the world. And it's so weird. Every time you watch a film like this or you talk to people, you know, back from home, they're living in a world where graduating high school, something that a lot of people take for granted, Mm-hmm. It's a revolutionary act. Yeah. It's something that changes the trajectory of your family forever. So, of course, they don't know anything about going to a fancy restaurant. As far as press, I think it's very important to remember that prior to his amazing tenure in the Baltimore City school system, that a great cop. <laughs> blinded a black child right. and shot to death a black cop. So, press a little different. But still, it's kind of the same thing. Well, Bunny ends up being the savior complex guy because mm-hmm, he actually yeah. saves one of the four kids. Spoiler alert, in the last episode of season, uh, was it season four or was it the farewell season? I can't remember. That's one of those li- seasons he saved. He gets, he gets him out in four, but he we finally see what what what, what happens to Naaman in five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to do a little Michelle Pfeiffer, if that's all go right. Go for it. If that's all right. Go for it. Always. Catwoman. Um stumbles onto the scene in Greece too. It's like, who's that? She's beautiful. That movie didn't do well, but it put her on the map. And then she's in Scarface. Mm-hmm. And she's in Scarface. She comes off the bench in that movie and hits like about 10 threes. <laughs> and it's like, who the fuck is this? This person is going to be in my life for mm-hmm. from now on. Um, she has a run from 1988 to 1992 that is really impressive. She does Married to the Mob, Tequila Sunrise. Oh, Danger- yeah. Dangerous Liaisons. Mm. Uh, her best movie was Fabulous Baker Boys, which she should have won the Oscar. And that that movie, it's 31 years old. That movie is outstanding. Fantastic. Yeah. And she's great in it. And she's like such a star in that movie. She's in the Peak Russia Bo House. Pete Bow Bridges. She's in the Russia House. She's in Frankie and Johnny. And then she's in Batman Returns. She she does the comic book. Excellent. She's, Excellent. She's uh well she she was Batwoman, right? She's or Catwoman. Catwoman. She's Catwoman in that. Mm-hmm. Um How all dare right. you. Biggest so I would say she's the biggest female star in the world other than Julie Roberts by the end of that run. 92 to 95, she does Love Field, Age of Innocence, and Wolf, which is a disaster. It's bad. But she's still an A plus list star. That leads us to dangerous minds. And the point is, there's not many actresses that you could have sold a movie like this with a good rap song and a shot of them in a leather jacket. And people are like, I'm in. Here's 150 million. (laughs) The list is like five or six. Like even Goldie Hawn, who I think was equally as big a decade earlier when she did Wildcats, like that movie didn't do well. Uh, Sandy Bullock, who we didn't, I don't think we fully knew was was still that big of a star. And she just blindsided that movie. I mean, that that movie's like still printing money. Um, we I'm in the age group where I'm gonna I'm gonna be just totally enamored with her. For you guys are younger than me. Where do you, give me your Michelle Pfeiffer thoughts? Uh, for me, Michelle Pfeiffer is one of those like you just look at them and you go, Oh, you're a movie star. Like I have not seen you in anything, but I see your face and you must do movies. She has one of those Brad Pitt level faces. Yeah. Everything is just so <laughs> angled and sharp and symmetrical <laughs> and cool. Just put the camera on her. Um, in this particular movie though, like when it came out, she was not the one I was like, 
oh, that's that that's my pretend girlfriend. It was always the the woman who played Angela, that character. Yeah. Um, Emilio's girlfriend in the movie. Like that's where where I was pulled, but just looking up at the screen, it seemed pretty obvious that she was a giant thing that I'd had no idea about. Van? Yeah. I've never once saw Michelle Pfeiffer in a movie and thought, like, I got to go see that. But I will say this, though. The first time I remember having, like, I had seen her in a bunch of things because a lot of these movies were on HBO. You know what I mean? Like, the Fabulous Baker Boys and stuff like that. But, like, when Batman Returns came out, Mm -hmm. that was really my first experience with Michelle Pfeiffer. I was so over the moon excited for that movie. Like, ridiculously excited. And I saw the movie, and then I started noticing her and other things. I didn't get Michelle Pfeiffer, because, you know, I didn't see Scarface. I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Michelle Pfeiffer's in this. And so, you, and you kind of see where somebody came from. Uh, Wolf might be my favorite Michelle Pfeiffer movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Critically skewered. I got to be honest with you. When you talk about creepy James Spader, everybody mm. talks about how creepy James Spader is. There is not a movie where he is creepier then Wolf, like there's one scene in Wolf where he's half man, half wolf. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he's like smelling himself and going all crazy <laughs> in this James Spader way. I, I love that. But that was actually the time that I was all in, you know, and then there's like the movie where she lost her son and all of that stuff like that. But nah, she was a big, big, huge, huge deal. And really what sold her in this film was that she did something that nobody does now. She came for the video in Gangster's Paradise. She was in the video. Yeah. And that's kind of what sold the movie for me. We're going to cover that later. I, I think mm-hmm. the interesting thing with her, because we've we've had a lot, a lot of smoking hot actresses who were good actresses over the years who succeeded. One of the things that was interesting about her is, is like my wife really likes her. It's really hard to mm. thread that balance where everybody likes you. And I felt like she was always there from day one. I, I think Sandra Bullock's like that too, where people, there's just the likability factor that you can kind of throw them in any movie, no matter how bad it is. And you're still like, ah, oh, I kind of like that person. You know, like- uh, She I, seems like she would hang out with you and it wouldn't like be a thing. Right. Be like, oh, cool. We're just going to be buddies. Like, So this is a perfect role for her. And I, I'm with you, Van. I She probably looked at this like, I didn't win the Oscar for Fabulous Baker Boys. Maybe this is, maybe this is a vehicle, but- uh, Hey, you could gruff yourself up, put on the leather jacket. Let's see if we can get the statue. But the thing is- you know, they, they, this is a Simpson Bruckheimer movie. That is one problem. <laughs> Those movies aren't winning Oscars. Second thing is, it was a pretty troubled filming from the sense that Andy Garcia is in this movie as her love interest. And Andy Garcia at that point in 1995 is still, I would say, a big star. He's not like an A plus list or anything, but he was a famous leading man at that point. And he gets completely cut out of the movie. He has, there's this whole extra arc where she falls for this guy and he's in whatever. And they're just like, it doesn't work. Let's get it out. And I kind of wish they'd kept it in, or I kind of wish they would release the director's cut of it because, you know, it's obvious they just wanted to get a movie that's 90 plus minutes. Let's get the fuck out, turn the theater over, get the next group of people in. But Shay, don't you think that would have, would have helped? Cause basically her only companion in this movie is big fat George Jenza. And that's it. And we have no, and she's by herself other than that for an entire year. No, I disagree with you on okay. that one. I, li- I like the way that they set it up. I like when they make it, like, very quickly they establish, okay, this woman is going to dedicate her whole life to the classroom. Like that's what they make it seem like. They show her reading the books after her first day. They show her like 
digging through a closet, trying to find whatever she can find and, and deciding she's going to be good at it only for her at the end to like turn, like basically turn her back on the kids and be like, either this is harder than I thought I got to get out of here. Like, I thought that that's a slick thing. That's like a very real thing that happens, especially with young teachers, you show up and you're like, I'm going to, this is going to be my whole life. And then you get your ass kicked a few times and you're like, maybe I'm not built for this. I like that they did it that way. I can't believe you just shoved Andy Garcia out of the car like that. It's so weird. That was unbelievable. Sometimes, sometimes you got to get him out of here. That was unbelievable. If it had been uh, Michael Pena, would you have felt the same way? Uh, no? no, we could have got him in. We could have. <laughs> he could have been. He could have been the counselor at the school. You know, right. one of the one of those situations. This was the last Don Simpson movie. So the Simpson Bruckheimer oh, wow. partnership, which made a kajillion, bajillion, kajillion dollars. Uh, he had some demons. Mm, he had some did. issues. Can uh, I say something he, inappropriate? He went on, hard. Along the- can I say something inappropriate along the love uh, interest front? Yeah. There's a version of this movie where she pulls a Mary Kay Letourneau with Emilio. (laughs) (laughs) There's a version. There's a version of this movie. There's a version of this. Because like, let's be honest. The thing that was most important, uh, most impressive about Emilio is nobody has that chin in high school. Like nobody. like, Like Emilio... It, like Emilio is like the LeBron James at that school. Like, well, he's thirty geez. in real life, so I think that helps. Yeah, like, like no, no, <laughs> nobody has it. And I kept it, like she's going back and forth, and it, the whole thing. There was a there's a version. Is rest in peace, Mary Kay Letourneau. There's a version of this where that happens, and I saw that because I was thinking when I was watching the movie last night because I ran it back a couple of times. I'm like, there is something missing in her life in terms of a companion, and is she really as into these kids, or is she? Sort of using that to fill a void. You see what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. why was she so upset about the Emilio thing? Maybe it was because he was a promising student. Maybe it was the chin. <laughs> no, maybe it's because he died. That's probably why she was upset. Just a guess, but maybe it's because a student got murdered. This is where Shay's jumping through the Zoom. It th- there is a weird when Emilio sleeps over her house and he's in the white tank top. There's a weird vibe for about 40 seconds there. We were like, wait, a I, little bit. I was watching. I was like, oh shit, I forget what happens here. And then I was like, oh, hey, we're good, we're good. But yeah, I think I think uh, Vans are R-rated version of Dangerous Minds. I think yeah, definitely no, they thanks. at least make out. Um, so this was based on the autobiography "My Posse Don't Do Homework" by uh, Luann Johnson, who's a retired U.S. Marine. She took up a teaching position in Belmont, California. And most of her students were black and Latino uh, teenagers from East Palo Alto. And as we said earlier, she used uh, the lyrics of rap songs to get the class interested in poetry. So comes out, negative reviews, huge box office success, $23 million budget, probably all of which went to Michelle Pfeiffer, except for like five bucks. Made $179.5 million. God damn. Yes. Yes. Uh, It was one of the biggest movies in 1995. And now we can talk about the soundtrack. The soundtrack comes out. It's three times platinum. It makes, they sell over 3 million copies of it. Gangsta's Paradise becomes the number one song in 1995. It is the first rap song that ever finishes number one. It also wins a Grammy. It wins MTV uh, Video Awards, the whole thing. And it's the the biggest song of that year. Shay, you wrote a you wrote a whole book about rap once. Mm-hmm. Does this song hold up a hundred percent, ninety percent, seventy five percent, or fifty percent? Oh, it's still a hundred percent good. It's still a hundred percent, very very good. 
this is this is one of those times where you watch the video and there's a part in the video they're doing the whole thing with Michelle uh, Michelle Pfeiffer where she's sitting in the seat and Coolio's walking around her and it looks like great and they're showing you clips of the movie and one of the clips that they show is when Emilio gets in the fight with Raul and Guzmaro and they show the one scene where he picks up Raul and like slams him against the locker and as soon as they show that you're like I gotta fucking watch this movie I don't know what else is <laughs> happening in it but I gotta see this movie those those two things combined it's really really good it's really really strong as soon as you hear it you you immediately remember where you were at this point of your life because that song was was just every single place that it could possibly be it's good you mentioned they 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 play it multiple times in the movie they actually play it three times they give you a piece of it right before the mm-hmm. Emilio uh, Raul Guzmaro fight when they're in the hallway yeah. like they tease it a little bit something's about to happen and then they pull it back. But yeah, it's fucking outstanding. It feels like you could just bring that song into any situation and it becomes more exciting. Like arguably, they should just be using it in the NBA bubble before every playoff game. They should play it right now during this podcast while we're talking <laughs> and everything is going to be better for the next 25 seconds. Ben, your thoughts on that song 25 years later? When I hear it, I still I think still think it's dope. But the seriousness, <laughs> I mean, look, seriously, the seriousness of the song has been undercut by how popular it was. Mm-hmm. Like if if uh when you talk about, at least with me and my homies are talking about the seminal most important songs about hip hop in hip hop nobody ever brings up like gangsters paradise it's a no, pop nobody. hit it, like it, the, the song became so you know if weird al yankovic comes and they and, and does a, a a parody joint to your to your shit it's probably going to lose some of its credibility like in hip hop and then at the same time coolio was like a fun rapper it was something that was it was a a, a strange turn for him to do a song that really felt that dark. You know what I mean? Coming off yeah. Fantastic Voyage and all of that stuff like that. So you still hear the song. The song musically sounds amazing. It always mm-hmm. will. And the lyrics still resonate, right? But as far as it being like an important rap song or important song in hip hop, I don't know if you can say that it it, it is and it isn't because it went so pop that it almost lost some of its resonance in a way. Yeah, I don't think it's. I think I don't think it's an important in like the trajectory of rap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's a, still a good song to listen to. Yeah, and sure. then yeah, like like Coolio never made another song like this. Um, I don't know if uh, like who wrote the song or if anybody helped with it or whatever. But when you go back and just read through like the words of the song, you're like holy shit, this is like a very, very real, very serious thing that that we're talking about here that you know gets attached to all of the. Weird Al Yankovic stuff later on. Um, but yeah, it's fucking good. You play it right now. I, I mean, I'm going to feel feel excited about it. See, I would say it should be it should be in that mix when you talk about like hip-hop and rap the first basically 15 years because like, you think about Saturday Night Fever and the, those Bee Gees songs on that movie and how it became the marketing, part of the marketing of that movie and one of the huge reasons it became a big success, all that stuff. And then, you know, that was kind of the pivotal disco point. I think for this movie, we'd seen other 90s movies incorporate rap, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, some of it was more subtle stuff or like the Abel Ferrara movies, stuff like that, New Jack City. 
above the rim, really went hard at it. Um, mm-hmm. Poetic Justice. This mm-hmm. was the first time one song was used in the marketing of a movie that became massively big. And all the stuff that came out of it, I, I think, I don't know if it could have happened in 1991, 1992. I, I think... I think rap evolved a little bit as a mainstream thing. And by 95, people were ready for something like this. And then the video, which was awesome, that had her in it, as Van mentioned, which they did because they were worried the movie wasn't going to do well. They asked her to come in, film this thing with Coolio. It's basically her in a leather jacket, just kind of staring at him. Mm-hmm. But it was great. My- and it, it built up so much momentum for the movie. I don't know if that happens five years earlier. My my argument against those two points would be, number one, if we're talking about the most important rap song from a movie, if you want to say like the earliest one, it has to be Deep Cover, which is where we got introduced to Snoop, um, the the one that they did for that movie. Dre Immensely Snoop. more important. And yeah, ab- it, it's not even right? close. So, yeah. So you have to have that one. And then, but and you're then talking you're important the, for the, quality standpoint. I'm talking about- No, no, like, no, 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 no. That movie, no, birthed, just, that, that movie birthed Death Row Records. That, 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 that yeah, song yeah, yeah. birthed Death Row Records. But it did, so that movie didn't do that well, though, did it? Deep cover? Yeah. No. So deep, here's the so here's okay, the second ahead, one. If we're if the argument if the argument then is going to be well, it has to be from a movie that did really well and that like the rap song was part of the part of the promotion. And in '91, five years earlier, they did fucking uh, ninja rap from the secret of the ooze, Ninja Turtles two. That was like a very real Vanilla Ice one. was the. the yeah, or the Adams. The don't forget about Hammer. The Adams family. And rap. the Adams family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're, they're, like, there's a history here of that stuff happening. I don't think that this was the first one. I, I mean, not the first one, or even the 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 most impactful one. It's just, it's it's the biggest one, but that doesn't automatically make it the most important. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I don't think it's the most important either. I just think it had the most dramatic impact on a movie becoming a big hit because oh it no, was really to that the, point. It was yeah, really the, how they marketed the movie was with that song and Michelle Pfeiffer in a leather jacket. And that was it. We didn't know anything else. And it worked. Right. To that point, I see what you're saying. If you're saying that this movie, that, that song, like I went to see, to your point, I went to go see Dangerous Minds because of that song. Like that's why, that's why I saw it in theaters. Because like, the I song remember a year before Above the Rim, which we have not done on the rewatchables yet. You think like, what are the hooks that make you go to the movie? That movie was like basketball, Tupac's, Tupac's in it. Mm-hmm. And wait a second, all these songs are on the soundtrack, and that was like it. That was all you needed. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. By by the time we get past this movie, Hollywood realizes like we need the song. It's not just it's not just the uh, Saturday Night Fever model for disco and stuff like that. This will actually work for these kind of movies too. You know who There's, realized that more than anybody though? Real quick, who? Will Smith realized it. Yeah. Mm. Will Smith said that. Yeah, Look, he did. I'm coming out with these movies. You're gonna get. Men in Black. Men in Black, baby. Let me dance with this alien in the video. You're going to get all of these joints to go right along with these songs, man. I'm going to the top of the charts and the top of the box office. Well, I'll give you a piece of info that's too good for half-assed internet research. This movie, this song, Gangster's Paradise, was offered to bad boys. And they didn't want to pay money for it. So that's how it ended up in this movie. But it could have been in Bad Boys. It's weird. I don't... I don't really know where here. it would have been in Bad Boys. It yeah, fits it better work. here. It doesn't yeah. work. Um, there's some really fun Coolio stuff with that song because, you know, he samples from a Stevie Wonder song and like mm-hmm. like everyone else in the 90s. At some point, you're like, oh shit, maybe we have to get Stevie to sign off on it. Mm-hmm. And there's, Rolling Stone did a whole oral history about the song, which is really interesting. But Stevie was like, no way. I'm not letting my song be used in a gangster song. Um, somebody knew Stevie's brother 
they had a meeting with him and his stipulation was that he had to take the curse words out. And Coolio said, I had two places that had the N word in it and two places where it was like fucked in the ass or something like that. Stevie said, if I take that out, he would sign off on it. Unbeknownst to me, the other condition was that he wanted 95% of the publishing. Had I known that, I'm not sure I would have went ahead with that. So guess who cashed in? Stevie Wonder. The old as, double as dip. He, as he should. Great job, should. Stevie. Way to go. Um, go on, cashing again with Wild Wild West, and then he cashing again with Do I Do with Ja Rule. So Stevie saw that and started filling his coffers with rap songs after that happened. Um, before we get, we got to mention Roger Ebert here, unfortunately. Roger was on a good streak on the rewatchables. One and a half stars for Dangerous Minds. Yikes. Quote, we've seen this basic story before in Stand and Deliver, Lean on Me, Teachers, Dead Poets, Society, and so on. This version is less than compelling. Pfeiffer, who is a good actress, does with this material what she can. Words hurt. Words hurt sometimes. (laughs) Um, We're going to take a break and then we're going to do the categories. Let's take a break to talk about Heineken. If you're trying to figure out how to beat the heat for Labor Day weekend this year, I have an idea. Whether you're headed outside safely or staying indoors, be sure to enjoy the always seasonal Heineken original lager. I mean, this is the ultimate weekend, right? Three-day weekend. I know it kind of feels like every day is a weekend at this point, but this is really a guilt-free hangout with your friends, social distancing, hang out on a deck, hang out on a porch, hang out outside, whatever you're doing. Just make sure. You involve Heineken. I just did a podcast the other day on the on uh, the BS podcast. Joe House came on. We just watched Utah Denver. He was holding a Heineken. He was having sipping from Heineken as we were doing the podcast. Their original lager is made with natural ingredients with pure malt and their famous A yeast, which makes Heineken an all season, all the time kind of beer. Savor the last days of summer with an ice cold, crisp Heineken. The perfect way to cap the last moments of summer. Pick up a pack or have it delivered this Labor Day weekend and drink responsibly. All right, most rewatchable scene. Rarely happens here, but the opening credits have to have to be in the mix. They play the whole fucking song and it's in black and white and it's really good and it's just fun <laughs> to hear it. Um, Luann's first day, which is the stereotypical first day scene, but they, they she almost breaks and then has the goes back to the home and reevaluates. And her big analysis is, I'm coming back the next day with a leather jacket on, mm. and I'm putting my yeah. foot, I'm putting my feet on the desk. Maybe this will work. Um, another scene, Luann, when she Emilio's still not buying in, she tries to get to read the kids to read poetry, and Emilio squashes it, which is a really great scene. The Board of Education. That's bullshit, man. I'm sorry. Since when did the Board of Education done anything for us, huh? Yeah, man, we fucking barely get lunch. And that's when you really realize what his force in the class is. And then Callie comes to him when they're all leaving and says, Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson? Yes, Callie. If you want to get the class to listen, get Amelia. Good life advice. Um, leading to the next rewatchable <laughs> scene, 
Emilio sticks up for Miss Johnson in class. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, he's in. Read it again, Miss Johnson. Why do you care anyway? You just here for the money? Because I make a choice to care. And honey, the money ain't that good. Whatever. Read it again, Miss Johnson. What? Read those lines you just read again. Oh shit! What? Oh, oh what? what? We what? got Emilio on board. Oh, this is, what? I really like. I really like this one because she does such a good job there of trying not to react, like be excited. Like mm. that's what you have to do in that scene. When you're the teacher, you have to not acknowledge that this big thing has just happened. And she does a really good job of doing that in in that moment. Right, because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is participating in the class. So you can't act. You can't give him a carrot for then doing what he's supposed to be doing, but. You know that he never does it, so you're overjoyed. And she did a great yeah. job with it. You're right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. to mention before this scene, it's a tiny, it's a half scene. So technically, it could go in the woods age the best. But when she goes to see Raul's parents and tells them what a great kid he is and stuff, and the look on Raul's face. That one gets you. That one gets mm-hmm. you. It's really yeah. great. It's not, it's like a half scene, but worth mentioning. Um, next one is Emilio hanging out at Luann's house. This is the Oscar clip for Pfeiffer. You asked me once how I was going to save you from your life. This is how. This moment. Right now. This will make the difference in your life forever. This will make the difference in your life forever. It's just good stuff. Emilio mm-hmm. gets a little teary-eyed. He does. Mm-hmm. No, he, they kind of they, they kind of both went to a place there. Um, next scene. Luann finds out that Emilio died. And then has to tell the class. Bad news. Emilio was shot this morning. <laughs> Is he dead? Yes, he's dead. <laughs> that's in your that's in your list of rewatchables. Who wants to watch that <laughs> shit? Like, it's it's no, fucking emotional. You. It's no, her best you. scene in the movie. It no, is. Thank you. That, but that that one. I right rewatched there, that because I like stuff like that. Even when you know she goes to the the principal and the principal says, you know, he didn't knock right there. You know something's wrong. That yeah. whole thing, she's putting on, like she's really giving it right there. That that really was. It was all jokes aside. That was fucking great acting. She because she yeah. she knows that there is some kind of catastrophe that's happened because of that. She just needs to hear it now, and it eventually comes to it. That scene and then this next scene when she tells the class she's not coming back, I think are Pfeiffer's best two scenes in the movie where mm-hmm. that's where you really, you know, it's like the difference of you have the quarterback, you can go 11 and five with Alex Smith, but sometimes you need like the Tom Brady, Drew Brees quarterback. And <laughs> the scene when she said she's not coming back and somebody's like, is it because you're sad because of what happened to Emilio? And she's like, mm-hmm. and then she just kind of breaks down. It's some good stuff. Um, I like that. And then I have the ending too. Um, when they kind of break her down and they, and, and they do the whole thing and they get her to come back. What am I missing? Anything, Shay? You're missing the dinner scene that she has with Raul, Mm. which is a a, a really moving moment. Uh, I think that's the main one we're missing here. There are a a lot of really wonderful little moments that happen along the way. And I think more than any other character in here, they, they almost always come from Raul's eyes. So we have to have that scene in here for sure. So what do you got for most rewatchable? I think for me, my most rewatchable scene is when she's at the dinner with Raul. I really like the way he moves around in that scene. I really like the uh, 
the like little trick that they do where they say he had to he had to borrow this money to get this thing to get this coat and now like basically his life is in danger he has risked his life and he's going to miss school and he acknowledges that if he misses school she's going to go to his house and like we know she cares about him it's like a whole whole really cool thing right there um second to that though is the one when Emilio stands up for Miss Johnson, like a version of this happened in like my third or fourth year when I was teaching as I had like a group of kids that were like, I've been in charge of teaching the unruly kids at this point in my career. So the new kid comes in and he, he come from, he came from this, uh, from this campus called CEP, which is like school prison, basically all the worst kids go there. Yeah. And he shows up and you, you tell very quickly, like he's going to come in and try to like make his his mark in the classroom. So he, he comes in and he sits down and I have, I'm teaching science. So I have like the tables uh, rather than the desks and he takes his chair and he moves it to the head of the table rather than like where it was. And he just sits down and, and he's just like doing his thing. And I know at this point, I've been teaching for a few years. Cool. Just, you know, let him do this. Just don't even acknowledge it. Just keep teaching. He's going to see it's not going to get a reaction. And then next class, he'll be fine. But like, Two minutes afterward, he's just sort of sitting there not doing anything. And the other kid, the like leader of the of the class is boy named Elias. Just out of nowhere, he was like, hey. And the boy looked at him and he's like, put that seat back. And he looked at Elias and Elias is a big kid. Elias is like, Elias will fuck you up. You could tell pretty quickly <laughs> if, like, if, it, if it comes to it. And, and, the, and the boy looks at him and he's like, what? And he says, put that seat back. And he says, no. And he goes, put the seat back. And like his voice changed a little bit. And the kid was like, and he just got up and put the seat back and sat down. And I was like, fuck yeah, Elias. Yeah. Like, you, Elias. And you don't have to do any more work the rest of the semester. Like, you're the fucking man. It was awesome. It was it's awesome. like being a coach with the, when your best player in the locker room is like running interference for you with the other players in the locker room. That's exactly what it was. And he the was rest your of Tim the semester, Duncan. I never had any issues. He was my Tim. Elias <laughs> was my Tim Duncan. That's my guy. Van, what do you got for the, most rewatchable? Remember the Titans were burnt here. Gets in his friend's face for not blocking. Yeah. That was my Bert Tier. That's your Bert Tier. No, I got the restaurant scene for most rewatchable. Uh, but my favorite thing about the restaurant scene is how Raul grows up during the scene. Because yes. if you remember, yes. they, they, like, they, like, they first sit down and he won't talk to the waiter. Uh-huh. Like he won't even tell the waiter what it is that he wants, right? He's too afraid to assert himself in a world that he doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. But by the time they start talking and he gets into the thing, the waiter comes back over and he goes, get out of here. Another glass of wine? Oh, no, I'm fine, thank you. Coffee, perhaps. Hey, man, we're talking. Hey, man, we're talking. Like, I like that. I like that, you know, he kind of, he wasn't himself. She was trying to get him to be himself. And that's kind of like a little life lesson. Because if mm -hmm. he brings who he is to where he's going, he's probably going to be fine in life. But if he sanitizes himself and depowers himself, it's probably not going to work out. So I love that little scene within the scene. So that that that's why, I, that's the, my favorite part of that scene. I think it's the most rewatchable. That was also my daughter's favorite scene. Mm. It's everybody's favorite scene. Raul is fucking just awesome. He's so, he just pulls you in so quickly. I, um, I don't know what I have for a favorite scene. I like the whole movie. I guess I have to pick the most rewatchable. <laughs> yeah. You got to pick um, one. You know what? Go ahead, I, go ahead and pick the death scene. No, I'm not just picking go. the death scene. <laughs> just, go, just go for it. I gotta say, I really like the ending. I really feel like they they stuck the landing with how the kids kind of fought for her to stay, and then the whole thing, and it just makes me happy. This is a good way to end it. I don't know if I I would have ended it in the classroom and not with George Zunza walking away, chain smoking. I might have, might have cut that part. Uh, what's age the best? 
I, Emilio and Luann, who are not in like a ton of scenes together, but had a shitload of chemistry, which I think led to v- Van's raucous comment from earlier. But um, they, you could really did feel like they had a connection. I like, uh, I mentioned earlier, but Luann's second day outfit, her badass Luann outfit, the leather jacket and the uh, the whole thing is, is some good Pfeiffer. I'm just going to read this from the credits, the opening credits. Score composed by Wendy and Lisa. Oh, of the time uh, of the the revolution! Wow. Well, they were doing a lot of that then. They like they had sort of gotten into that. That's kind of became their thing after the whole breakup, flare up with Prince thing kind of happened. But yeah, I didn't realize that. Well, you'll definitely realize it the next time you watch this movie because it's a little purple rainish. The the one of the score that they have for this movie. It's, it's it kind of has the same kind of hook to it. Um. The Dylan Dylan contest, even though it never happened in real life, was just a good idea. I like the Dylan Dylan contest. I like the yeah, I like when people do clever. stuff like that. That's good teaching right there. The Gangsta's Paradise video, which you mentioned earlier, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Mm. Yeah. Coolio remembers the video shoot like this. Michelle was kind of nervous because I don't think that up to that point, she'd ever been around that many black people in her life. And you know, my boys were hood, but we had a good time. She came out, did her thing and she killed it. It took her two takes to do her parts and she was out of there. So there's everything you need to know about the dangerous, about the uh, dangerous minds video. Uh, and then I have for what stage the best, not, not just Raul, but, uh, Emilio Wade played by Wade Dominguez mm-hmm. who died in 1998. Renale Santiago, who played Raul, 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 um, he remembers their friendship like this. We were close. He was the nicest person. He was very vulnerable. When I look back on it, he was on that James Dean trip, confessed to being very insecure to me. I always took it as, are you just trying to flatter me? But he had lived a nomadic life, looked like a Superman in that movie, did everything in one take. I don't know how the details of how he died, but he would have been a household name by now. I searched. I tried to figure out what happened to this dude. There's nothing. There's no, it's just, he died in 1998 of uh, respiratory failure and that's it. That's all we know. Um, so you got that. And then that's all I got for what stage is the best. You guys have anything else? Uh, I, I, I have another one that is, to me, when I watched this movie, a thing that really jumped out. Um, and, it, and it happens every single time I watch it. But in the movie, we see, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer very quickly is like enamored with Emilio. And like they have the line, like you, you want the class, you got to get Emilio. And she starts focusing her attention on him. And she really like is building up this relationship with him, building up this connection. She finally gets through to him. She finally sees uh, when Emilio goes to her house, she recognizes that Emilio has seen what she has done with the other kids. And now he has decided he wants that too. Yeah, And so like, they have this great this this great scene and like she's finally going to help him and then of course he he ends up dying but when he dies they do the thing where she decides she can't be in the class anymore and it's because of him and because of Callie and because of the twins and like this is why she's leaving and Raul says like well what about us we stayed here and when he says that this is like a thing that happens in real life when you're a real teacher you will like zero in on a kid who you see needs some help or you really want to get through to him and and at, uh, at one point in your day or your week or your month, one of the other kids will pick up on this and say something to you that lets you know you're doing this and you've sort of are not focused on all of the other stuff that's happening. You're only mm. focused on this one thing. And you watch that happen in the movie. 
And I'm like, oh, fuck, I remember this happening to me in the classroom. And that's just like such a pulverizing moment for her when she has to confront that idea that she thinks like this is like the thing to do. And like, oh, I'm feeling very sorry for myself. She's not even considering what it's going to do to the kids anymore. And like that, that shit hurts. Mm. That happens in youth sports too, where you, yeah. where a coach can get focused on one kid who's either they're trying to save the kid or it's becomes a reclamation project or whatever. And at some point, the other kids, they pick up on it. You know, you got to water all the plants, but. Bill, I, that happens in youth sports and we know what real it happens life. with. It happens with the best kid and it's bullshit. It happens when you're all, I'll never forget, Will. Will knows. Will's listening to this somewhere. Will could shoot it from everywhere. We're all on the same team. And it became all about designing everything around him. And none of us got better. I'm still bitter about it to this day. It happens in <laughs> youth sports. But it doesn't happen because one coach looks at a kid and you have to. It happens because there's always one kid who's far and away better than everybody else. And the coach tries to hitch their wagon to that kid all the way up to the NBA. You know why it happens. Don't be, don't. You said that, Bill, because you, you seem like the kind of guy that would that would do that. That would like that would, <laughs> that would that would see one kid that was the and just how, lean. How dare you? <laughs> hey, just, <laughs> just feed him the ball. Just, just get Emilio the, the ball. Dare you. <laughs> just get Emilio the ball. Like what play are we running? You know what play we're running. We're can running I, the play. Pass to Emilio. <laughs> can I say before we move on? That there is a person who's listening to this podcast right now, and he is one of my students. Who, mm. He's like one of four or five that I still keep in contact with, and his name is Emilio. Wow! <laughs> and he was a, and he was a fucking one of my most badass students, just like causing trouble all over the place. Uh, but but he came into class, and I really liked him. I thought he was funny and smart, and I just was like drawn to him. And we became like buddies. Basically, it was a situation where he he wasn't even allowed to go to his other classes. Like can't go, the math teacher isn't letting him in the classroom anymore because he's just wilding out too much. His art teacher isn't letting him in. His English teacher isn't letting him in. So I asked the counselors, can he just stay with me all day? Just have them send me the work. I'll make sure he does the work because he's like, cool with me. And this was like a, a couple of years ago, but I still talk to him. He messages me on Twitter every once in a while. He DM'd me the other day. He's having a baby girl. I just want to say shout out Emilio. Mm. And I'm still fucking rooting for Emilio. That's my guy. Oh, that's amazing. Amelia's are undefeated. What stage is the worst? I don't have a lot because I love this movie. Uh, I don't. I think the title's bad. Mm. I just don't like Do it. You? Yeah, what Dangerous like Minds. What does that mean? It just seems mm. like it, I could see Simpson and Bruckheimer workshopping it, and Simpson probably did like seventeen lines and just had a whiteboard with different words like no, dangerous, no. scary, and then there's they're like, whole- "All right, dangerous minds," and then they just kind of merged it. I'm out on there's the title. a there's literally a part in the movie where she's like, "Everything that I teach you is going to make you're going you, to weaponize this right, and make you, you stronger in the world." No, nah, I don't like it. That, that's like the point here. Like, if you're, <laughs> I don't like okay. it. <laughs> okay, I'm out on the title. Mm, right. I'm surprised they didn't do it with a Z. Yeah, that's what, that would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> Simpson probably suggested that. They're like, Yo, hey, Don. it should be with a Z. Don, like, Don, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, another what's age the worst for me. And I, I like this actor. I like Courtney B. Vance. I don't understand the low talker principle. It had to be better than this. <laughs> Ms. Johnson, that is the approved curriculum for second period. Your class. Now. I know than you are the teacher, the smarter she is, but I- I'm afraid you're just going to have to go along with our policies. 
I get like oh, he's I supposed him. to be the villain. Oh yeah, no, that's a real thing. That's very much a there real thing. There are real people that talk like mm-hmm. this. Yeah, this absolutely. Because thing. they th- they think it advances them and they think it makes them smarter. Than- Look how I'm I'm never responding to anything. We have to follow the rules. We have to like that's a thing that administrators, some administrators would definitely mm. okay definitely do. I just didn't like them. Any yeah. other? What stage the worst? For me, something aged really bad and it okay. was offensive oh, to me. Okay, so. She goes to Raul's family's house, right? And they care about him. They care about him, right? She goes mm-hmm. to be with other people that care about him. The two black parents that she met didn't seem to give a fuck about yeah, their yeah, kids yeah. staying <laughs> at school. And listen, that's not just something that's happened in this movie. That's something that they did in fucking Lean On Me to a degree, as if you go, like, as if they're this group of black parents who don't give a damn yeah. about their kids graduating high school. Y'all, that's a lie. By the way, I was, uh, I, look, I'm not about to go on the soapbox. I was offended by that. Like those two, th- that, that woman that had those, th- those two boys that said that she, does, she ain't raising no doctors or no, no lawyers. She wanted them to stay home so they could work and not go to school. I've never heard of that before. Ever. I've never heard, never seen, never dealt with, never even a, a, a mama or a grandmama don't want to send her, send her, her sons to school. And like, I, I just, I never saw that. And that aged terribly to me. Like that scene actually pissed me off. That one and the one where she's pregnant. If there's any, I've seen girls that have been, that went to McKinley and they were pregnant. If there's any way to keep them into school for as long as the last thing that the mama says is, listen, I don't want you to drop out of school. God, God finished school. God finished school. I know guys that have gone to jail, came back and finished school. So that that bothered me. That aged terribly to me. Well, you know who else it bothered? I had this coming up. Luann Johnson. So she liked the movie. She wasn't involved with it, but was really upset about the grandmother character who called the Pfeiffer character a honky bitch. Um, <laughs> Johnson said um, she actually had a really good relationship with that woman who had the twins. And that they worked together and kept the twins on the right track and both of the twins graduated. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is her talking. I asked them, why did they put that in? And they said, well, we were sure that a lot of the black and Hispanic parents resented you for being white. And she was like, not true. And she was really, (laughs) so she kind of like semi disowned the movie because of, because of that whole thing. Like she was like, all right, but she, bought the life rights back and wants to tell her own version of it. But that scene like drove her crazy and mm. rightfully so. Oh, I'm sure it would. It would 100% do that to you. Casting what ifs. We mentioned the Andy Garcia thing. Um, so this is Andy talking about this in 2020. Somebody asked him on some radio show. They called and said they wanted to develop a love interest for Pfeiffer's character in the script. I read the script. I said, quote, you don't really need one, but I'm there for you if you think you need me. They wrote up a whole arc. We played it out. Had a great time. Shot the relationship. Was determined later that it was really unnecessary in the storyline, which is what I said <laughs> to begin with. And then he said, but I did cash the check, exclamation point. So if you go and you read, if you go on the internet and you read like uh, most famous people cut out of movies, this always gets mentioned in like top nine people you didn't know were in a movie or top 12 people that got cut out of a movie. This one mm-hmm. always gets mentioned. It's pretty interesting because he was pretty famous back then. Uh, best That Guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. I need a ruling from Shay. Is Raul, a.k.a. Rinoli Santiago, 
is he count as a that guy because he's then also in Con Air? So he's in he's two pivotal famous movies. Do people know he's Renoli Santiago? I think he counts as a as a that guy in Con Air because his part is much smaller, but he's a pivotal piece of the of the movie here. I think he's an, he's enough of the movie that when you look up the cast, you want to like find out who he is. So I don't think he qualifies in this particular case. Okay. All right. So I'm going to disqualify him. Yeah. By Shay's request because he loves the character. So we'll go with <laughs> Callie because anytime I, I think she's been in a couple things since then, but every time I saw her, I'm like, oh, that's Callie. But I, I have no idea what her real name is. What, what, what her name is. Yeah. So it's that, Adina Harris. Vincent Hanna, give me all you got a word for overacting. Shay, don't fight me. Emilio's girlfriend dials it up a couple of times. Just, just she ramps it up to eleven. Disagree. disagree. She ramps it up to eleven two or three times. <laughs> I know. I knew when, you would agree. Disagree. Is it when she thinks her boyfriend is about to get murdered? Is that when she no, ramps it up? Is it after her boyfriend gets murdered? She's on tilt the is whole time. Is that when she ramps it up? She's on tilt. No, I absolutely not. I'm going to give you the recasting couch right now. If I could recast any role. Let me remind you who was 16 years old in 1995, Shay. Somebody very near and dear to your heart. Miss mm-hmm. Michelle Rodriguez. Mm. She's too tough. She's too tough. Oh, you needed too a tough. softer, too more delicate flower is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this role, you need, you need her, her name is uh, Maricela Gonzalez. You need those, those big doe eyes looking at you to tear up. You need, you need that particular voice. Michelle Rodriguez was perfect for girl fight. Michelle <laughs> Rodriguez was not mm. was not for this role. There's I was just trying to shoehorn one of your favorites into the movie. I, I see what I, you're trying to do. Listen, and I, I reject. I'm just it. doing my best. Do you have any recasting couch suggestions? Yeah, I don't know. This is a perfectly cast. I actually really liked how they cast the high school ones. I, I thought guess they cast it pretty well as well. The principal's really, assistant could have probably been a more famous actress that was a little more accomplished. But other than that, I, I thought everybody was good. Uh, you mentioned earlier the the like opening scene of this movie where they play just the the full song. I really like when you're rewatching it and they like they show you who the characters are going to be in the movie, but not really. And so right. you're, you're you're watching and they pop mm-hmm. up and you're like, oh shit, it's Raul. Oh shit, it's 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 Guzmaro. It's like whatever. It's great. It's great. Dion Waiters. I this is a tough one because everybody's in the movie too much to count as a heat check person. So. You you're really stuck on like parents and waiters and stuff like that. I'm I almost feel like it's you know we almost have to shift it around to like who stole the movie, which Chris yeah. Ryan suggested last time instead of a Dion Waiters. And if you're giving me the who stole the movie, um, probably Raul wins this one. Gotta be, yeah, it's gotta be. But so gotta he's be. Ba- it's basically a glorified Dion Waiters because he's in it way too much to be eligible for Dion Waiters, but. You're talking about like the 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 mom of the twins and people like that being eligible for people who are just in the movie for one scene and that's it and none of them. Oh, I, I have I have somebody though. Okay, give me. Go for it. Go for it. The principal, Courtney B. Vance. He's like for, that's for, fair. First, He's only in like four scenes. I just didn't like, like the character. I, the character made such an impression on me. It's one of the most vile characters. I've ever seen in a movie and that's not any hyperbole. He like he he like like every scene he's in, he is literally the worst thing ever and at the end he kills a kid. Yeah. He basically killed him. 
like when you like when when you look at it, like those three scenes for him to be that pill. First of all, I call him the whisper daddy because he's whispering everything <laughs> that he says, right? Hmm. And, and like he's he's talking to her, never on message, never about the point, always about procedure or some other bullshit that has nothing to do with the fact that she's trying to save their lives, right? And then at the end, is his apathy. And his inability to read the room, to read his school, that ends up getting somebody killed. So I'm like, he was a very pivotal character for the fact that he was only in the movie for scenes. Like Listen, he ended up like all I, I those kids, he, all those kids needed to learn how to knock, and that that was why he was <laughs> right. there. He was there Life for education. He was, right. he was knocking lessons. <laughs> Bastard. Have fast internet research. Did you know they spun this off into a TV show? I, I, I vaguely remember that. I forgot and totally forgot. It was on 17 episodes with Annie Potts as Luann Johnson mm-hmm. in 96, got canceled in 97. Um, the movie was filmed mostly in Burbank in a, in a lot, but the outside was Burlingame High School in Burlingame. I don't even know where that is. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the actress who played Callie, Brooklyn Harris, uh, the real Luann came and visited and and she asked the real Luann, why does it always have to be a white person lifting up, quote, the poor little Negroes? Mm. And Johnson's blunt response, was, response to her was, I wrote the book, I have to be white. <laughs> so that was at least one actor who, who was onto the complex thing. In real life, did Emilio die or not? In Any guesses? Life? In real life, the real life Emilio, Dead or alive? I'm going to say no. I would guess yes. Did not die. Spent four years in the Marine. Became a dad. Still alive. See? Excellent. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm glad, by the way. All right, so this was shocking because I've seen this movie a bunch of times and I usually pride myself on noticing this. This is one of the better half-assed internet researches we've had in a while. Michelle Pfeiffer pregnant during the movie. Wow. Really? Pregnant during the filming and it was shot out of sequence, but if you, apparently um, there's a bunch of scenes with long skirts, bulky sweaters, or scenes where her she's carrying like a large purse or a bag, and that and after I, I read that after I saw the movie again, but I was like, oh, that makes because there's weird things where she's just like lugging around this giant purse and you, yeah, with a candy in it, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's I always thought they did it because they didn't they were trying to reduce her sex appeal or something. But she's actually pregnant in the movie, so there well, you go. That's cool. I, I, I hope to, I, I hope little. Little Emilio Raul Pfeiffer grew up and be, be just great. I hope he's living a great life. I, I, have to, I have to interject with something. I have to rewind a second. There is a Joey Pants Award, that guy in this movie. Who is I it? I was trying to... The guidance counselor lady. The one that gives her the job. Like, mm-hmm. her name is Robin Barlett. And I was mm-hmm. looking her up because I had seen her in a million things, but could never place her face. She's in Baby Boom, Moonstruck. She's actually in Lean On Me. As Miss Elliot, the one, the woman that's in the remember the scene in Lean on Me where there's a choir teacher in the movie. Yeah. And yeah. she's trying to teach them how to how to like how to how to do it. And the choir teacher won't listen. And Joe Clark fires her on the spot. Mm-hmm. That's the same lady. Like she like she got fired from that school and then went to the to the West Coast and ended up teaching those other kids, it's the same universe, I guess. No, wow. but that lady has been in a million things, so it's not a that guy for this. No, that, you, that we have chick. females eligible for that guy. There you go. Yeah. Like, I couldn't remember where I seen her from, but like she was killing the entire 90s. I'm looking at her right now. She's killing the whole thing. So I just had to say that. 
All right, before we get to Apex Mountain, let's talk about TikTok, which is having an Apex Mountain of its own. Music makes everything better, which is why it's at the core of TikTok's culture. Each time you open the app, you learn something new, whether it's a hot new song, new recipes, or even words of encouragement, you're bound to find useful bits of information everywhere you look. And if you happen to hear a catchy new song or two while you're there, well, that's pretty great too. Discover more on TikTok. Apex Mountain, Michelle Pfeiffer, no. Because I think it's Fabulous Baker Boys. Coolio, yes. Oh, without a doubt. Every high school kid in this movie, I'm going to say yes. Um, White Savior <laughs> Complex movies, no. No. I think Blindside is. That movie was like a phenomenon. And mm, it, won, it won Bullock and Oscar. Okay. Um, so, did, so did Green Book, if, we're, if like, that's the requirement. What about white? What about white savior complex school teacher movies? Because that was happening too, like just see, this, savior, is, this is, this is like, first place. Yeah, that, this, this, is, this is absolutely this is the, first. Place. The all time apex mountain for that. I couldn't really. I, I had a, not a lot of apex mountain candidates for this one. If, you, if there's any others, tell me. Candy bars. Oh, oh. butterfingers. Butterfingers. All right. Picking nits. Michelle Pfeiffer as a marine. No, no, nah, not buying it. Uh, I absolutely buy it. You buy did Michelle you, Pfeiffer it, as a Marine? Yes. Why? Did you not, did you not watch G.I. Jane? <laughs> Demi Moore can do it. Michelle Pfeiffer can do it. But that's, that, that is actually G.I. Jane and Sarah Connor are the reasons why I didn't buy Michelle Pfeiffer as Marine. Because in G.I. Jane, fucking Demi Moore got ripped. She's she, yoked in that movie. She committed to the role. She looked like a Marine. Sarah Connor looked like Linda Hamilton looked like somebody who could fight a Terminator. It just kind of took Michelle Pfeiffer straight from the Fabulous Baker Boys off the piano into the classroom. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's kind of, that's why I didn't buy it. Um, nah, I buy it. I buy it because she didn't back down. <clears throat> why didn't Luann have any friends or any dates? Just, it's a nitpick. She said she no, she no She's friends, She's recently no divorced. It's okay. only been like six months, they said. She said it. She said that the husband was abusive and she wasn't ready. She talked to yeah. George Zunda about it. Her George only Zunda. friend, George Zunza. George Zunda left. No, Zunza. she didn't have wine. She had no friends to go have like a glass of wine with on a Wednesday night. Talk about the kids for a half hour. She addressed it. She said it was too hard to it. go over to their house. She's socially awkward. There's no internet back then. What was she doing? She said it was too hard to go over to their house because it reminded her of her ex-husband. She talked about it. Um, all right, Shay. Every, every time you're on the rewatchables, I ask you a question. Only you can answer. Give it to me. <laughs> In real life, Emilio versus those two tiny kids. How does that fight go down? Mm. Oh, it goes down exactly like it did in the movie. Emilio's fucking them up. Like if you're that much bigger, it doesn't matter how, how many of the smaller ones there are. The, the hits just don't hurt. If you could pick up the kid and flip him upside down into a locker, Emilio's winning that fight. Sadly, I love, I love Raul. I love that he didn't back down. He's my favorite character in the movie. But he's getting the shit kicked out of him every time in that scene. My feeling him, is they, him don't and get the, they don't get the shit kicked out of them fast enough, in my opinion. I feel like that's a, I think that's a Tyson Spinks kind of fight. It's 91, oh, no, that, that, 91 <laughs> seconds max. <laughs> Raul and Guzmaro are, are, they're plucky. They're plucky. Because <laughs> even as they were Feisty. pulling them off of them, they were still ready to, they were they still had ready a, to go. They, they had good they strategy. Understood. One would jump on them, let them get right. occupied, yeah. and the other you one get would a, try. You get them in the back, I'm going <laughs> to right. get them in the front, and right. go from there. It was great. It was great. So I have a lot of questions about the dinner. Go for it. Why the flowering peach? Why was that the choice from Luann? 
why take them to like the foofiest French restaurant? Why not take them? Like why, why knock them out of their comfort zone so completely and totally when you could she just go to an best. awesome restaurant, they would actually feel semi-comfortable. And what was the point? She said of that it was shit? the best restaurant in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This that's very much one of those like white is the center of everything. And this mm-hmm. is the best thing she could think of. Right. So she just assumes they're going to also think this is the best thing in the world, which you know, that's not how it works, but that's that's what she was thinking right now. Okay. There. Plus, you want to force them out of their comfort zone. You want them to see that the world isn't just like what they understand or what they know. Same thing that happened in The Wire. You want to take them to a place where they don't understand it so they can see there's more than just their neighborhood. Yeah. All right, second question about the dinner. So Callie can't go because she's got to work. Mm-hmm. Darrell just gets completely boned over. She's bringing Callie leftovers. It's like, Darrell can't make it. That's it. He's never never seen again. Why <laughs> Why didn't he get leftovers? What, what happened? There was three people for the dinner and Darrell just was an afterthought. Well, she because because Callie shows up and says, "I'm not going to be able to make oh, it." Oh, she told her that's true. Yeah, she told Darrell. She Darrell um, Michelle Pfeiffer thinks he's going to be there because when she gets there, she asks, "Oh, where's Darrell?" And Raul tells her uh, he couldn't make it. That's why she wasn't able to get leftovers. So the no leftovers is, for Darrell. Darrell didn't care. Darrell said, "Fuck the restaurant." Like, I yeah, gotta, <laughs> I got I, I got to be somewhere. I got to I got to work. All right. Tough. Any other uh, nitpicks for you guys? No, no, I don't have any. No, 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 Man, thank you. Best quote, we covered a bunch of them. Um, I do like sometimes you start out wrong and you can't get going, I think is a good quote, which she says at some point in there. Could this be remade as a 10-episode Netflix show? I don't think so. This is one of the few times I'm going to vote no on this. I think it has to be this self-contained. You need this one storyline happening, and then when it's over, it's over. I don't want to see the second semester because then you start to ask too many questions. You're like, what, what are the other classes that she teaches? Why do I not see them? Does she not care about those kids at all? What, you know, what happens? Uh, these are all juniors and seniors. It seems like what happens in a year. Like I'm not interested in a you, Netflix show. You could, if you flipped it, if you told it from the kids perspective and like, you'd have to like, it'd have to be like the kids, right? The kids, are distrustful of her. She comes in and they have to figure out whether or not, you know, it's other good. You have to go from the, it has to be like a 13's reasons why type. You know what? Fuck it. I tried. I can't. No, you can't do it. Like, like I, I tried to talk. <laughs> I, 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 tried, I, told I, you. I tried to talk myself into it. No, you can't. It wasn't. It's stupid. All right. No, here's the key question. All right. You go on Netflix on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And in the new releases on Netflix, it says Dangerous Minds, the reboot uh, TV show. Do you watch the first five minutes of it to see what they did? I watched the whole thing. Yeah. I yeah. No, so no, the no answer is yes. I don't know why you There's guys no are afraid of this. Well, at this point, do you understand that I watch whatever Netflix tells yeah. me to watch? I, like, the, so my answer is yes. So, <laughs> Remake so, this shit. I, I'm watching something and Netflix goes, hey, it's this new thing with Jamie Foxx called Project Power. I'm like, that seems stupid, but fuck it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'll watch it. I watch it. By the way, that was pretty good. But yeah, but like it, I watch whatever they say. Yeah. Well, I hope they do it. Probably unanswerable questions. I only have one and Shay just alluded to it about two minutes ago. So did she only teach one class? What was she doing the other seven that, periods? What the hell? That's my shit. What? Did she just not, or the other, the other mind's not dangerous enough? <laughs> what, what, like, well, like, what, like, what about every I thought that I think that I, well, I was like what about everybody else this is one period was this her homeroom or something I don't get it this is what this is a thing that they do all the time in the movies when it's a teacher movie they only show them with one class they only they always show them like 
no teacher, I promise you, no teacher has ever been caught off guard when the bell rings. And it seems to happen in every teacher movie. They're like in the middle Whoa, of a uh, lesson. Yeah, you know exactly. Rings. It's like a, in that, basketball, you know what the clock is. Right. Yeah, that, that doesn't happen. It, the thing also doesn't happen when you go walking into the class and the kids are already in there. That's a fucking a disaster <laughs> waiting to happen. There's no way that one. They do a bunch of, a bunch of little stuff. The one thing that I did that I did think when I was rewatching it about this particular uh, point is they mentioned she's going to be teaching the this like special class, the academy or whatever it is they call it. And I thought, oh, maybe maybe this is like a version of when I was teaching. We had a thing called the back class, which is a class I taught one year, and it's a self-contained class, and that's the only class that those kids are in. They don't go anywhere else. You don't get any other students. You have a small group because it's like the most uh, the the kids with the, the biggest behavior issues. Uh, but they keep them all in the same room, and I thought maybe that. Mm. But then the, the but then the counselor comes in, and she's like, "Oh, before your next class, can you? The principal wants to see you, mm. so that's out of there. That's just yeah, that's just a thing, a teacher movie thing. That should have been the sequel, is not quite as dangerous minds, which was like her fourth period class. Right, yeah. it was like one bad or, apple. Or, Everyone else kind of <laughs> just did the work. Right. Or you do the or you do the the one that Van pitched earlier, where the teacher sleeps with all of the students, apparently. And that, there you go. There's your sequel. Dangerous Behinds. That's what, <laughs> That's what you call it. There's your van show. Hey, man, okay, Letourneau, they got married, man. They were in love. The only other answerable question, I, there were some white people in the class, and I just watched Above the Rim with my son the week before. Mm-hmm. And in the big game and Above the Rim on uh, on Dwayne Martin's team, there's the one white guy who kind of looks like Dwayne Schitzis. We don't know his I name. We never hear I from him. Guy. He mm-hmm. puts up stats. Like he's in the right yeah. place. He gets he gets crushed by Wood Harris like five times, keeps getting up. Uh-huh. Um, right. but we don't we don't establish who that guy is or why he's in the movie. And there's a couple of the there needs to be like a name for that type of person in these type of movies where it's like the white guy, but we're not gonna invest any time to figure out what his name is or why he's here, but he's here and he's kind of competent. We figured that out back in the day. What? That was the coach's son. Remember the coach was white. The coach was right. white and above the rim because like we will watch that movie so much. We try to figure out, yo, why is there just like a random white dude? And then my boy, <laughs> my, my boy Ryan goes, bruh, think about all he was like taking charges. He was continuously getting elbows. <laughs> great point. And never reacting. It was the coach's son. That was his kid that he had on the team. He probably got a D1 scholarship to the same school. You know what I'm saying? The whole nine. Maya, I, I have one unanswerable question. I want to know, did Raul graduate? We don't, oh yeah, I think he did. I want to see it. I want to see see that scene. That I think this is a, another part of the reason I was so drawn to this character. Watching them explain like he has a chance to be the first one in his family to graduate high school. Like that was a thing that I went through too. And that's like a real. Mm. I don't know. That shit sits on you very much. Like they they do the whole thing about like when she tells him, "I know you're going to do everything you can to like keep your word, and if you say you're going to graduate, that becomes a thing." Like. I fucking love that guy. Shout well, out that brings us to who won the movie because I think for about 20 years, I just would have said Pfeiffer sight unseen, but I think Raul won the movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 I think he's the most important character and he's in the whole time and he's he's threaded through and he has most of the best moments and the whole arc. I mean, honestly, Luann's character, like, you know, not she's not exactly throwing a no hitter in this movie. And then as soon as the going gets tough near the end, she's like, "I'm out. I'll see you guys later." Dude, when that's they crazy. That's right. crazy. Yeah. This Sorry, is guys. just like a regular semester for these kids. They're like, "This is what happens every semester. Somebody dies. Somebody gets pregnant. Some kids stop coming." 
And she was like, this is too much. Too much for me. (laughs) Yeah. I have to go back to my seven cats. Um, Yeah. All right. So Raul wins. This is good. We did it. So were you laying down the groundwork here for a future above the rim? I, I felt like that. I felt like that was being slid under the table there for a second. I saw the, the I saw the spark in Shay's eyes. Oh, Book us. Book it right now. <laughs> the three of us. There you go. Done. Done. <laughs> that, that's a movie. That's a movie. That Above the Rim is a movie. That's a movie. That's the end of the sentence. That, that's, that's a movie. That's a movie. <laughs> There's so many questions and it's a, it's one of the most in terms save of it, Save it for the pod. Gotcha. <laughs> I will gotcha. say this though. I watched it with my son and the most confused I've ever seen him watching a movie was why Leon was playing basketball without a basketball. He just, he, it like broke his brain. He's like, what is yeah, that yeah. guy doing? Is that guy, is he a lunatic? Why isn't, why isn't he in jail? All right. it, it is just bonkers. Anyway. Uh, all right. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that in a couple of weeks. Shay. Pleasure as always. Van, pleasure as always. Good to see you guys. Please. Please. Be safe. All right. Thanks to Shay and thanks to Van. Thanks to Spotify. Don't forget to listen to your podcast on Spotify. We're coming back early next week at some point during the three-day weekend. Me and Chris Ryan breaking down the 25th anniversary of an iconic movie. That's all I'm going to tell you. And it won't be one of the usual suspects. That's That's the only hint I'll give you. Read into that what you will. Enjoy Labor Day weekend.